0: Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here. The draft is on the horizon, man. I mean, next week is the draft. I'm taping this on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, this episode. So the draft is right around the corner. So this is going to be, we're going to get deep into the weeds here. We're going to call this the uh, draft offensive line episode. And we're going to talk to two offensive line experts, Duke Manyweather, who trains pretty much everyone in the league these days and Jeff Schwartz, former Giants offensive lineman, uh now, you know, NFL analyst, pundit, talking head. Really good. I mean, he's very connected with Duke. They do a lot of looking at current and draft offensive linemen, so they know. They know what's going on behind the scenes with these guys, uh what they bring to the table way better than all of us. So that's what we're going to get into mostly in this episode, and that's what I kind of want to get into the most likely Giants draft picks and i'll have the, an article out i do this every year sometime early next week okay and usually i have a pretty good idea now let's this year like is a little bit longer than it has been in previous years in part because when you draft 11th there's a lot of scenarios the top 10 picks so let's say yeah i think they would draft devonta smith i heard the most about devonta smith about them liking him than any, uh, any other player but who's to say that devonta smith is available there's a possibility. You know, we went over this in the last episode. People around the league, he's listed as a possibility, but there's also a chance the Dolphins take him at six. There's also a chance he gets drafted, I don't know, by the Lions at seven. So Devonta Smith, I might pick him as the most likely draft pick, and then he might not even be an option. So you never know. But the interesting one to me here, and thats we're going to get into this deeper with Duke and and Jeff, is Rashawn Slater. Because you're sitting there and you're saying, and I talk to people around the league, who have told me they like some people like Slater better than Sewell. I spoke to two people in the last day that have told me that alone. You know, people who who are talent evaluators and work for different teams around the league. So it's entirely possible the Giants have it that way, and they're sitting there and they're picking and Rashawn Slater's on the board. He's the offense. He played played left tackle, offensive tackle at uh, Northwestern. There's the possibility. They have him as a top five player on their board. They're sitting there at 11, and look at this great value. And I look at it and say, okay, they're invested in Matt Parrott at right tackle. They would like him to start to have uh, Nate Solder as insurance. And and Andrew Thomas is number four pick He's last year. He's playing left tackle. But at, at the guard spot, you could put Slater in there early, okay? Say you start, let's say, a left guard. And then Hernandez and Lemieux could compete for the other guard spot. All of a sudden, you're in much better shape than you are right now. Because right now you have Hernandez, who's been up and down his first three years. Lemieux, who was up and down his rookie year, as the starting guards, and you're saying, you, you're you you're hoping both those guys become quality players, but you don't know about either of them. Now, Slater, yeah, sure, any draft pick is a projection, but if he's a top five player on your board, you could pretty much guarantee that he's going to be a quality player in this league, especially if you slide him into guard. And if it doesn't work out for Parrot or Thomas, which... The likelihood is probably one of them won't work out. you know, just playing the odds on draft picks. then yeah, eventually if Slater's the real deal, you can move him to the outside. So that's the one that intrigues me. Now I haven't heard a ton connecting the Giants to Slater. Does't mean it didn't happen. I do have, I did have one source say that Slaters they believed Slater was in their group of players for potential picks at 11. Now some of the other guys I have here are, are Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. I've heard some buzz on them. Smith the most. Like, I think if Smith is there, I really I really do. I'd be really surprised if the Giants didn't take Smith, if he's available at 11. But we don't know if he's going to be available. Huge, huge question. think I'd probably put that at less than 50%. Let's say 40. No, you know what? 38%. I'm making up a number. Totally bogus. Picking it out of the blue. All right. But if that 30, 40, even 50% chance that he's there. That would be tough value, I believe, for the Giants to turn down, even if he weighs 166 pounds or whatever. Now, as regards Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn. Horn is a guy I've heard some good things on in recent days from people. A lot of people are very high on J.C. Horn. So those two guys also I have is potentially in the mix. And then the, uh, the edge rushers. At one point I was told Jalen Phillips by somebody, but there's just so many questions, and the more I talk to people around the league, that's a tough investment to make. Especially when Gettleman said, you know, you eleven, you kind of want someone who could play, and it was basically essentially talking about uh, mitigating risk, and you, you know, needing somebody that's more of a sure thing when you're picking eleventh. So it makes me think Phillips is probably not going to happen. Now, the two edge guys that come to my mind the most are Quitty Pay. If they pick at eleven, I believe Quitty Pay is going to be the top option. Now, if they trade down, because when you hear Dave Gettleman and, and Chris Pettit, who's the director of college scouting, they, they were up there Thursday talking. When you hear them talk about the linebackers and the need for them to be versatile, 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 and that's what kind of what the, the coaching staff wants is these versatile linebackers. It's not all just about pass rushing, getting after the quarterback. They ask him to do multiple things. Aziz Ojolari was the guy that came to my mind as they were saying that. And I had heard that the Giants liked Ojolari all along. So that kind of makes sense. But I don't think that would be at 11. Like the people I talked to around the league just think he's a back half of the first round guy. They could, they could probably get him in the teens, late teens, even if they wanted and still pretty safely land him. I think, I mean, you never know with the draft, but that's the way it sounds. So those are the guys I have on my most likely list, at least at the top. So far, there's other guys I'm still thinking about have to talk to people about. So we'll, we'll finalize that list early next week, but right now that's where we we stand or I stand, you know, and, and, and again, Nobody's telling anybody out there, We're the Giants, here's who we're drafting. We're drafting X guy. doesn't work that way. But I'm able to get bits and pieces from people in the organization, outside the organization, with other teams throughout the league, around the league, agents, whatever. And you find out, you get little crumbs on who they like. And then you narrow it down. Okay, what's likely, who's available, blah, blah, blah. Because, yeah, Kyle Pitts, Giants love Kyle Pitts. Sure, of course. Almost everyone in the league loves Kyle Pitts. So we'll, we'll see, you know, who actually makes it to them at 11. I don't expect Kyle Pitts to have any chance to make it to him at 11. Now, Rashawn Slater, that'll be an interesting one. And that's why we're going to have these two guys, Duke Manyweather and Jeff Schwartz, talk to us about them. So let's go. Let's do it. On to the next one.
1: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why?
0: All right, let's welcome in two men who know the offensive line as well as anybody out there. We have Duke Mannyweather, who, by the way, I met years ago. Uh, He was, I guess you were training Jeff Schwartz, who's the other, everyone knows Jeff Schwartz, former Giant player, who's the other guy out here. And now Duke has basically built himself into this powerhouse who's training half the league and half these uh, draft prospects every year. So... Duke, Jeff, welcome. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about how how you got there, Duke. How how did you build this empire that's going on right now?
2: Well, you said I built myself into a powerhouse. I'll digress because I'm currently in a wheelchair recovering from surgery. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a powerhouse, but (laughs) um, it's it's very, uh, I don't want to say it's very simple, but it's been very calculated in terms of, uh, you know, wanting to change the game. And wanting to evolve the position and progress the position of offensive line and never really changing that message and that vision. And so everything that I've done up to this point has been to be a student of the game uh, and to be of service and an asset to offensive linemen, offensive line coaches, and anyone that wants to be a student of offensive line play. And that's really what the focus has been. The focus has never been about, you know, what the brand is going to be and all that, the, ser- the focus has always been about the service, uh, making sure that these guys are out there, they're in shape, they're staying healthy, um, they're being developed mind, body and craft. That's what the main focus has been and the rest takes care of itself. Because uh, we truly feel like that once we get guys around us, that once we take care of the man, once we take care of the person, like the player development in terms of tactical and uh, physical and all that stuff comes easy.
0: And the list of of people that Duke basically has trained in his training is is ridiculous at this point. I mean, Teron Armstead, uh, basically Lyle Collins, the whole the, most of the Dallas Cowboys, or Rashawn Slater in this year's draft, and every year now. I mean, you're basically. Uh, ripping off you know three or four of the of the top offensive line prospects every year for like the last what three four four years at this point
2: uh three years really um we've really taken off and uh grown so the last three years we've definitely have guys that have been uh the top of the top um and we continue to uh you know just do what we do, uh, put together a solid uh, what we call rookie transition program those guys transitioning from the college games to the pro game. Um, I don't like calling it combine training because the tools and the mindset that we give these guys are going to carry them into being successful rookies and successful pros. So the way we look at the combine, the way we look at all-star games, the way we look at, um, you know, the private workouts and the pro days are, those are just events um, along the way of the journey and it's not the destination. It's not where we're going. It's just uh, events and stops along the way. And the destination really is getting these guys uh, to perform and peak on the field for their teams and being the best uh, pro that they can be. Um, and that all starts with having a great rookie season.
0: Yeah. And obviously his OL OL O-line masterminds, uh, he basically gets the, top, the whole humongous group of offensive linemen. I was there one year puts them in all all in one room and they talk about you know ways that they can all get better and things that they do and ways to to stop the top pass rushers in the league it was a it was a great experience. And then there's Jeff Schwartz over here who is uh now one of us. Obviously we know former Giant offensive lineman, now a, a, a talking head just like the rest of us out there. He's got an uh like a sort of like a Gruden camp O-line version coming out. Uh Jeff, welcome. Tell tell us a little about this Uh, You know Gruden camp O line special, I guess we'll call
3: it. I'm everyone's favorite former Giants football player, obviously, Um, and uh, I'm glad to be here talking about offensive line. Yeah, so the Gruden uh, O line special is out next week, I believe. Uh, Well, I mean, there's no other time; it has to be out next week because the draft. Taping this on Wednesday afternoon, by um, the way. Yeah, so I'm eight days before the draft. I'm hoping that we get to, to 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 pump it a little bit and pimp it out a little bit this the end of this week. Um, but, you know, I, I was with, with, with Panay in Los Angeles and then I was in Dallas with Duke and uh, we had Rashawn Slater and Trey Smith and uh, Creed Humphrey at the Oklahoma Center and then Quinn Miners, the uh, Division three kid from Wisconsin-Whitewater. We watched film. Uh, we filmed them working out with Duke in training. Duke and I spoke for a little bit of time too, talked about our relationship and and how we grew up together. and. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. So hopefully um, everyone will enjoy. There's many different ways to watch it too. It will be on FS1. It will be on Fox Sports Digital, on Twitter, Facebook, their website. Uh, we'll probably have longer versions on YouTube. Uh, you know, I, I went over eight, nine, ten plays of each player. So. Uh, we talk in depth about what they do well, what they need to work on, uh, their backgrounds, you know, a guy like Trey Smith is overcoming adversity and just being able to, uh, to play through a lot of things that happened in his life. It's a great story. And you want to root for these guys when you're done, uh, listening to them talk about, uh, what, what they're going through in life.
0: So you both know this, this offensive line class very well. So let's, let's get started. Okay. You've got Rashawn Slater. You've got Penny, Penny Sewell. Sewell. How, how do you pronounce it, Jeff? Penny. Penay, yes, Penay. All right, Penay Sewell. I, I'm curious, what do you guys think? How would they? How do they match up compared to last year's tackles? Like if you if you had to rank them and list them, uh, obviously last year the top of the class was you know the Andrew Thomas was selected by the Giants of four, uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, Wills, and also Makai Beckton, who the uh, you know di- full disclosure Duke Duke also trained and trained. So uh, I'm just wondering how you would kind of stack them up and what what the opinion of you guys are on them duke
2: you will let we'll let you go first yeah you know what um last year's tackle class had a lot of uh um not so much hype but build in terms of like this is the best tackle class we've seen in a long time um and you know what those guys went out there and even andrew thomas who continued to get better throughout the season uh, but those guys went out there and performed um, those guys checked the box uh, you know we were looking for one of those top guys in Indy to separate themselves. And uh, what ended up happening was, you know, Beckton was kind of the, the first guy to put himself on the board in terms of his performance in Indy, check every box. And we said, shit, all right, game on. But then all the rest of the tackles checked the box too in terms of what they were supposed to do and handle business in Indy. So that became interesting. So I think going into the draft, nobody kind of knew uh, what that top, what order the top four go in. Right. It's up going, uh, Thomas, end up going, uh, Wills, end up going back to end up going Worf's. Uh, you know, you can make the argument for, you know, Tristan works could have very easily been all pro last year. I think should have yeah. been all first team. Um, in terms Jankin of performance, was, you might want to flip it around, yeah, if you think about it, yeah, in terms of physical dominance. Um, you know, Makai Beckton was absolutely ridiculous in terms of what he was able to do on a, a poor team. Um, he was a one of probably two or three bright spots, probably the main bright spot um, of the Jets last year. Uh, you know, you look at Jedrick Wills, who was actually called upon to do something very difficult, and that was the flip side to play left tackle. Um, took that in tremendous stride, had an outstanding rookie season. Um, and then Andrew Thomas, who, you know, had a rookie uh, rough uh, start to his rookie year, but you saw uh, progress, and you saw, uh, you know, um, him get better as that went on. Um, So when you look at this year's class and I made this clear very early is just because last year's tackle class was deemed as the best class we've seen in a while. um, This year's class was nothing to sneeze at in terms of offensive line as a whole. As I started to watch this class I started to see that one, it may not be as heavy in terms of quality tackles that can come in and start and dominate like some of these guys did last year, but there was going to be, you know, a run of maybe five or six really good tackles that you're going to see go off the board and probably the top 64 picks. But then the interior class was dynamic this year. I think that this year's interior class is going to be really good. So, as we got that summary and kind of that backstory and you know character uh, development, as they like to call it in movies and and, and, uh, and books, I think when you stack up this class versus last year's class, um, I think that still Panay and Rashawn kind of fall right in there uh, within those top four. And I mean, you can make an argument that even um, if you know we were to say let's bring this class from last year into this year. Um, I think you would probably still see, and this is full disclosure. This is without knowing these guys play uh, rookie year, you know, without their rookie year, I, I still think the order probably stays somewhere similar. But I think that because of the way Panay played with the Allen Trophy, I think he's probably the first off the board. I think because of that, uh, I think that because Rashawn's really good play of 2000, 19, and especially with Chase Young, you may see Rashawn maybe be the second or third tackle off the board because you got to keep in mind, he played Chase Young. Yep. Um, And did very well. Very well. Yeah. And so automatically that's going to be the measuring stick. And whoever the hell gets Chase Young, you know, he went to the NFC East. You got to think that NFC East or somebody that has to play them is like, hey, man, if we got an opportunity to get Slater, we're going to get Slater based upon what he did. So I think those two, potentially, um, you can you can see like a Slater being like maybe the second or third tackle taken, even if last year's class combined. Based upon again, the 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 caveat here is that Chase Young was in last year's draft, and so again, just like you're always going to look for a counter, and you know last year uh, Slater had. Chase Young's uh, number, so I think when you look at that, you look at what he did athletically, checking the boxes there. Uh, it could make it very interesting if these two tackles were in last year's draft or vice versa, right? And it's I funny
0: think, neither, neither of them have played. Jeff, you're Mister, you're Mister Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. So, so Pinnay, I mean, wh- the, the what what we talked about this before, but uh, you know, there are some people that just don't see it with him. Why why do you think that is?
3: Well, not that they think, don't see you know,
0: it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say that. I should clarify. They just don't see him being as good as some people, as others, you know, that um, as dominant, as great. You know, yeah.
3: it, it's it's because they overlook kind of the nuances of the position, I think. And the nuances with, with him is his age, guys. Um, he won the Allen Trophy 19 years old. He played that season. He played against Auburn in that season, starting his seventh game at left tackle as a true sophomore at 18 years old. He played Derek Brown. He played this great offensive line. He then played, um, I believe it was uh, was Washington, Joe Tryon, who's going to be a first-round draft pick, people think this year at defensively. He played him just after he turned 19 years old. Then he played, you know, obviously, Bradley Knight, who got drafted, and then played a Wisconsin team in the Rose Bowl who had Zach Baum get drafted in, in, in the third round. All this was 19 years old. And we're looking at a player who will get drafted at 20, will play his first month in the NFL at 20 years old. And the upside potential is so tremendous. We rarely see a player come in the NFL who is this good, this young, with the potential to be even better. He needs to work on pass protection. He needs to work on bending his knees a little bit. He needs to work on not trying to kill people in the run game. Um, And that, to me, feels like what the upside is of Panay Sewell, is that you have a player who is just so young. He posted a picture of himself um, for pro day. Uh, and I mean, Duke can confirm this as, as someone who works, you know, with 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 bodies of offensive linemen. I mean, he still has like a college body. He doesn't even have a grown man body yet. He still has so much room to grow into his frame, to get stronger, to to be more mature. And, and you know, the mature thing is not really an issue my concern. But he's 20 years old, right? I mean, at 20 years old, can you imagine playing the NFL as well? So I think people look at him and say, ah, oh, you know, he's not as good of a pass protector as as Rashawn Slater. He's not as ready as Rashawn Slater. Well, you, you don't really know that, but you also can, can coach him up, and you just have more upside, in my opinion, if he, he becomes a player that we think he all can become. Uh, Slater is more ready to play now. If, if you were choosing a guy, maybe to to play at this exact moment, you would take Rashawn Slater, who's better in pass protection, a little more smoother in pass protection. Um, but there's no player in this draft who's as physical at that position than than Panay is. I mean, you and so. I think that people that scout the position routinely overlook. I saw someone today said that Panay's arm length bothers them. I'm like, do you even know what that means? Like, do you even know what, what arm length means? Like, are you watching the games? Because when I watch Rashawn Slater play who has shorter than than you want arms and Panay's Sewell maybe is shorter than you want arms. Uh, Their arms are about the same length, by the way. I think they're like a half, a quarter inch off each other. Their arm length is not their problem. Especially Rashawn Slater, who against Chase Young showed great, arm length and was able to keep him away with just an outside hand. So I just think people don't know how to evaluate, don't know how to build up uh, offensive lines, uh, but the upside of Panay Sewell with his work ethic, with his desire to be great with, as he says, his violent intentions on the field, that's what makes him so unique.
0: So 33 inch arms for Rashawn Slater, right? As you mentioned,
3: whatever, watch, but, but watch that, him the smaller side, but watch him, but watch yeah. him, but, but I'm not really yelling at you, Jordan, but watch him play chase young watch him use his outside hand. It's not too short to play that position. Like like that's my point about the arm length issue is like the, the reason why Rashawn gets in trouble sometimes. And Duke can obviously talk about this more is that he uses this, this double under technique, right? And he, he doesn't sometimes use his hips quite properly with his hands. It's not because his arms are too short. Cause we see him single arm outside punch chase young and knock him to the ground. Like that's not, that's so foolish to me that he can't use his arms in the NFL because they're 33 inches. It's, Watch him play. Watch how he uses his arms in action.
0: So both of you guys I believe he's he's a tackle in the NFL. You're not. Neither of you are yeah. buying this. Oh, he's an All Pro guard. He he'd be a, he could play tackle, but he's a, he's better at guard. He's an All Pro guard type guy.
2: So again, I've said this over and over. Why do people automatically take tackles that are clearly? Clearly, very good tackles at the collegiate level against quality opponents, and automatically kick them. Want to kick them inside when there is not enough quality depth at old tackle in NFL, and yeah. a proven position that lacks development in the NFL. Can somebody answer that question to me? It just it it, 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 it makes zero sense. We act like that. Offensive tackles and functional offensive tackles, let alone very good offensive tackles, growing trees, and they're just walking around. They're not. I mean, there's barely, there's 32 NFL teams, which means there's 64 starting tackles. There's barely 64 starting tackles that, you know, you could say are highly functional. I mean, there's a reason why every year this becomes a topic of discussion. In terms of who's going to be the top tackles taken, if they I mean, if that was the case, these first round tackles and second round tackles would be on the board in the fourth and fifth round if it wasn't a position of value. So, when you get some of these guys that are dynamic, especially on tape and they check every single box, why are we talking about moving them in the guard? Answer that you can't
0: probably no answer, but here, how about this? And this what is where you guys kind of slap me down in our group text, right? So, if you're the Giants, you have a top. Him, Slater, graded and Sewell probably. Let's say, graded as top five players in this draft. You think they're both going to be could be dynamite tackles in the NFL? Yeah. But you're the Giants. You're drafting eleven. Five quarterbacks go off the board. You have a top five player and Slater sitting there when you pick at eleven. Why wouldn't you? T- why wouldn't you take them? If they had, it's not like their offensive line is great and everybody. You know all these guys at each spot. They have a lot of unknowns. I mean, a lot of young players and promise, but you know, like, but there's a lot of questions still there.
3: Well, I think the question becomes how you're allocating your, your draft, you know, your draft at those positions the last couple of years. Look, we agree Slater's not a guard. And and I think his, the way he uses hands and hips doesn't translate. Well, if anyone is a play guard, it's Panay. I wouldn't play him a guard, but I think he would do fine a guard. Um, out of those two guys. But, you know, you, you've you spent a first-round pick on, on Andrew Thomas. You spent, what, a third-round pick on Pert. Mm-hmm. Those are your two tackles. Like, those are the guys you have to develop to play that position. You've spent the resources – at offensive tackle your so why job not, now why
0: not then put slater if you could start him at guard and see how the two guys why? And, if, and if because you want to you want good
3: players all over the place then, then, then i then, then draft elijah vera tucker and play guard like like draft a guy who's going to be an elite guard in the nfl who's you got
0: and, you think that vera tucker i mean this is a fair the fair question then vera tucker would be a better guard than slater then
2: yes yes because he's done it and, right. he's, and he's, he's, played really, he's played really well there. And he's, and he's proven to be elite. Like some of the things that he does, especially at the second level. Oh, so um, good. Act, the way he uses his hands is targeting the power that he plays with. Like you see that what he does is going to translate really well to the NFL as an interior offensive lineman. Now, he's a guy that could play tackle. I would not want to put him at tackle in the NFL, <laughs> even though he showed to be more than functional there for USC this year. But you, if, if if you want that guy, hey, this is going to upgrade our offensive line as an interior guy. Like he's an interior. Like you got to look at Vera Tucker for being a guard. Now, if you're just saying, hey, we want to get the best player available as an offensive lineman, that changes the discussion. But if your need is interior offensive line, yeah, the thing becomes why roll the dice on somebody that's never done it before? Not saying that he can't do it because I think that Panay and Rashawn could do it, but Vera Tucker is going to be that guy that's going to be an outstanding guard at the next level.
3: And and Jordan, there's also the idea, again, like, so if you draft Rashawn Slater – and you put him at guard for a year. Let's say that that Matt Pert gets his kind of first year of full starting, and he plays oh you know, okay, I guess didn't play great.
0: Probably have his up and, and downs naturally, and, right?
3: Right. And you say, hey, well, we're going to put Rashawn at right tackle. Then what you do with Pert? Like he's not a guard; he's too big to play guard. Like he's not. That's not what his position is going to be. I mean, you have to give yourself three years to develop these guys. Like that's that's what that's why you draft players in those rounds is to give them the opportunity to, to play. I mean, Andrew Thomas, we know needs to play. He needs the reps. Pert needs the reps. Um, I just, and I just don't think it's, it's smart. And look, and you, you drafted Will Hernandez re- recently Drafted Shane Lemieux. Um, like you, you actually have the bones of a decent offensive line. If that's you good. can find ways to develop, to develop talent. A talent and that's and I think the job Rob that we're
2: not supposed to do. Yeah. And I think Rob sale will do that. Um, You know, what Rob sale did, out at University of Louisiana Lafayette, um, it's pretty impressive because those guys don't get typically your four-star and five-star guys. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to really recruit and then develop what you have there. And when you look at guys like Kevin Dotson and you look at a guy like Robert Hunt, who was oh, yeah. developed under, under Bob Dell and DJ Looney, it makes you excited that those guys get it in terms of taking talent, and pushing it from point A to point B, uh, in terms of the developmental process. I know Rob Sale; um, he's a fundamentally based coach, no nonsense guy. He's going to coach those guys hard, but he's going to have a plan for development. So I feel good about your Will Hernandez and your Shane Lemieux uh, taking the next step. Yeah, keep feeding um, the Giants fans. Guys-
0: dude. Keep, keep the Giants fans are going to like this. Keep feeding it. Tell them why you're so you you love you you're, you actually think much highly more highly of this line than probably people outside of that uh, outside of the building and
2: most the general yeah plan. yeah well i like shane lemieux coming out of uh oregon you know he's not gonna be a flashy guy but he's just that tough nosed guy that's gonna hold it down could probably play three positions on that o-line you know at you know he's already proven to play left guard um, and can definitely play center if you needed to. Needed him to in the pinch or play right guard. Uh, Will Hernandez has starting experience at left guard, battled through some injuries last year, is healthy this year. Will's actually training with me this year. Um, and Will's been working at right and left guard. So um, the progress that I've seen with Will at right and left guard um, in terms of his movement, efficiency, and him being healthy and you know him getting a, a lot leaner, is, is promising. Again, I think with Hernandez physicality and the Mew being a dog in his physicality, you got something there with that interior O-line. I don't know much about Nick Gates as a person. I have just seen him on tape on tape. Um he's more than functional at Great center team, in my bro. Yeah, more than functional uh at center, in my opinion. I think your Andrew Thomas has gotten uh better over the course of the season. You know, um I talked to Andrew a couple of times throughout the season. I said, silence the noise. I said, return to fundamentals. I said, it all starts with your stance, starts with your set. Remember that your journey is going to be a day-by-day process to find something to get better at. And I, I told him that a couple of times during the season, and I'm sure he's out doing what's necessary to take that next step as a pro. Um, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm hoping, and I am um, i don't know Matt Pert at all, um, just what I've seen on film and on tape. And I think still the traits in the, and the critical factors that Pert possesses is that I, to me? You got to start and tackle there. It needs to be developed, plain and simple. Right
0: um, now, you talked about Will Hernandez, and you talked about whether you know the playing on the working at the right and the left side. To you, does it matter, Duke? Do, do you think he's better? He'd be better suited on one side than the other, or is it just getting used to playing on one side and, and just
2: it's, it's, it's getting the right. Re- it's uh getting the the shortening from his i mean he's played on the left side all of college all of high school um so it's getting the body back in balance in terms of stabilizers hip flexors getting the glutes working um and it's a matter of the the reps on the right um it's difficult to have a guy come in the training camp and do it it takes a lot of it takes a lot more than just Practice reps. It takes being able to train there, being able to train in that right hand stance, being able to train taking a, a set in the uh, from as a, a two point stance as a right guard. Um, can some people do it on a whim? Absolutely, but I tremendously, um, I would say that like in terms of vital of, of like something being critical. I always, always, always cross-train guys, right and left side. I don't care if it's an all-pro, a guy that's going to be a future Hall of Famer. If you play right guard, you're going to play, you're going to take some sets. You're going to take reps at left guard as well Uh, because it it helps to mitigate injury is really what it does because what ends up happening is repetitive motion ends up making things weak and you end up compensating. So if you can keep the body in balance, and that's what the offseason is all about is movement efficiency, movement literacy, get these guys back in balance, get these guys healthy, giving these guys, um, you know, tools in the toolbox, telling them how to take care of their body and just to balance everything out. And again, being able to work through playing right and left side comes with time, comes with reps. And it's not just the practice reps. It's about actually preparing for it in the off season. That way you can go back and do it uh, when, the, uh, when the, the reps are live.
0: But you're pretty high on Will Hernandez overall.
2: Fair. I think Will. I think I think you're going to see uh, tremendous strides in Will, uh, whether he's playing left or right side.
0: Fair enough. That should, certainly would work for the Giants. They would love to see that. Uh, you mentioned mid round interior options. And it's pretty deep at that position. That's yeah. That's more likely the way the Giants are going to go in this draft, right? You're talking me out. You already talked me out of Rashawn Slater. You know, at at eleven even if he's there, maybe even Vera Tucker, because the more I I think about it, I heard, I,
3: what's that? Here's the question. Here's the question though, Jordan, is that, you know, at 11, and I, I don't know the Giants draft ph- philosophy under, under Gettleman, but, you know, best player available might be Slater. They, they might just say, hey, man, that's our board. Yeah. We're taking Slater or we're taking AVT because, you know, the thought is that they need to edge rusher at 11, but that feels very early for an edge rusher in this draft.
0: For sure. Um, Who's to trade down, I've been saying. And
3: that. and so, yeah, but that he's never done that before. So it'd be very, it just <laughs> feels like it would be very unlikely that you can assume – tra- I mean, everyone wants to trade down, right? There's like eight teams that want to trade down. You have to find someone that's willing to come up and – and, and take and take someone out of that position. So they might just have to draft Slater or have to draft AVT because that's their best player on their board. Um, more wide receiver, perhaps, um, but that feels less likely with, uh, with the Galladay signing.
0: But I, what I was told at one point, you know, and when I was talking to people about the offensive line, what I had heard was that, okay, their likelihood is they're just going to add a mid round guard, put them into the mix. You know, they're going to need depth at that position at the very least. So who you guys say it's deep in that position? Nate, who do you, who do you like in those mid to late round options, interior lineman?
2: It depends. If you're looking at, Hey, we want a guard or we want position flex or it really depends on, on, on really what you're looking for.
0: Um, uh, let's say guard, because I think that's the likelihood. Well, Hernandez is on the last year of his deal. And so they're they're going to need at the minimum. They're going to need depth on the interior moving forward. Guard, a
2: guy that I, a guy that I like that I think is going to be is going to fit kind of the grit of um, uh, what kind of the, the physicality and the toughness is Quinn Miners from yeah. uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. I think that's a guy that you could potentially see anywhere go from the second or the fourth round. A lot of people now believe that. He could be a second or third rounder, uh, but he's a guy who's going to check every box in terms of physical tools, critical factors, doesn't really have any bad habits, sharp kid, tough as nails, um, and can probably step right in right now and start to uh, compete at one of the positions. But again, I think you're all right with, you know, Lemieux and Hernandez. And I think you're all right with a lot of the pieces that you have on that O-line. I think it needs to be developed. Uh, with that being said, it's, it's an interesting play because you bring up the, the point that maybe they say, hey, we want to roll with a mid-round interior offensive lineman. But if they're looking at their sights to say, hey, we want to take an O-lineman early, why not take ABT, like Jeff has been saying? Right. Um, because who knows what the margin of difference is between a mid-round offensive lineman interior wise compared to what you have in a Hernandez and a Lemieux and their backups. So it, it, it's a fine line, man. But Quay Miners is a guy that I like. Jeff, uh, anyone anyone he, you want to throw in there, Jeff?
3: I, I just want to say it, it, it's very hard. I think to say, we need to find a starter, any position, in the fourth round, like that feels a stretch. Like if you're, if you're the giants and you've decided that, Offensive line is the number one priority. Again, most teams draft best player available, maybe at 11. So maybe your best player, again, is Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith, and they're graded ahead of ABT or Slater, whoever else. But, like, if you – you're drafting the fourth round and on as depth, right? So you're not trying to find someone, in my opinion, right. to start. You're finding someone just to make things um, – Well, you know, they like work.
0: Hernandez and Lemieux, and they, both, they they could both be starters. So, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean you're I talking about like, you okay, know, insurance policy in case one doesn't pan out. Yeah. Injured,
3: whatever. I mean, you might get a lot of value in a guy like Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. Is he healthy now, Duke? Is he going to be able to go?
2: Like, that's, that's yeah. part of it, too. Like, he's going to drop a while. So so, Wyatt is healthy, and quite frankly, I think that I, I think Wyatt got a clean bill of health on his medical recheck. Not think I know for sure, and Wyatt will be back down here training starting next week. Uh, so he'll be back down here in Dallas training, um, and I think you can still see Wyatt go. Uh, you know, in the second second round, I don't think he's going to be available in the in the mid round. So when you look at like your Wyatt Davis and your Trey Smiths, those guys are probably gone by the second or third round. Yeah. Um, because those are guys that easily, you know, in any other year, depending, you know, health and all that type of stuff, those are guys that are looked at as like top tier guards that, you know, with them along with ABT, uh, are probably first rounders, you know? So with that being said, like, I don't think you're going to have the opportunity to even be able to have a run on those guys in the fourth round. And to Jeff's point, if you're highlighting offensive line as a position of need, there's no way in hell you go into that and say, we're going to find our starter. You can't go in with the mentality and right. say, we're going to find a starter in the fourth round. I don't or think that's the with But there's going to be, in this draft, there's going to be third, fourth, and even fifth rounders that will end up starting and be better than some of the guys drafted ahead of them. Um And I mean, I look at I just look at some of the guys that I work with that are probably going to be third and fourth round guys like a Jack Anderson that played a lot of football at Texas Tech, that your teams are going to either love him or not. He's going to probably go somewhere in the third or fourth round, but he's going to step in immediately and compete for a starting spot. Um, You look at a guy like Brady Christensen from BYU, who tremendously helped himself in pro day so much that people went back and watched when they were watching Zach Wilson's film, went back and said, oh, shoot, we kind of missed out on this guy's tape. Uh, with some of the things that he was doing on in the mid zone and outside zone game and some of the things that he can do in space as an athletic tackle. And then all of a sudden you you look at his numbers that he did at pro day and then you look at his tape and it, it, and it, it compares and checks the box on both of them. It's exactly verifies what you saw. So again, um, you look at guys like that, there's going to be some guys taken that are going to start uh, from the third and fourth round and be very good pros, but I don't think you can go into to the draft with the mindset we're going to find our starter in the fourth round. If you think it is a position and an area of focus and need that you got to pull and uh, go get who you want or who you think is best player available at that position early on.
0: Yeah, well that that's why that's why they're not they're not going to. I don't believe they're going to do that. All right, so we're we're gonna we're gonna wrap on this now, Jeff. I, I need I need little. Most people don't know. Little known fact. Most people don't realize this. You and Duke were high school teammates. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So let's uh, I, I need the scouting report. What's a scouting report on Duke? What was <laughs> um, what was he like Duke, as a player? So,
3: so Duke is the guy that people envision offensive linemen to be. Like <laughs> he is just, he was just like nasty, not like, not hygiene wise, but like player on the field, like, just he was nasty. He was physical. He like obviously loves every second of playing football, playing the game of the technique of of you know the the preparation. Like he's the guy that you in, you see in movies who you know who's supposed to portray that. That's Duke. That's the offensive lineman. <laughs> of Duke because he was never obviously he's not very tall for the position. Um so you just, when you, when you first
0: it, saw him, I mean, how tall is Duke?
3: Five ten, five eleven.
0: When you first saw him, you, six, what did six, you think six, about yeah. playing him playing offensive line?
3: Maybe five ten is too short. I think he's five eleven or six feet tall. Um, I don't. I don't know if he's six. I don't feet remember. Tall. Like Duke remembers me far more than I remember him in high school. Like we became much closer friends when we were both in college um, than we were. I think in high school. Like I don't remember being like, like I don't remember our friendship as much in high school as I do in in college. So that makes sense.
0: Yeah. No, I got you. Did you ever yeah. think you'd be like, you know, helping him, you know, go to the bathroom these days took, and uh... take
3: a poop? Um Because no. Let's,
0: let's set the stage. What Tell everybody. So Duke. Yeah. So Duke, yeah, so like
3: Duke major... mentioned Duke mentioned his wheelchair uh he's in right now. He ruptured both quad tendons and his left patella.
0: Not a laughing um, matter, by the way.
3: Trying trying to lift um, at a competition. And so I flew out to help him um, because he just needed help. Well, he's in a wheelchair; he can't go to the bathroom by himself. So, just getting him like into the bathroom and then back into his chair um, (laughs) and whatnot. So um, I just feel bad for him, man. Like everything you know was going well, and he was at this competition and just blew out his uh, had a freak injury. So it was basically um, both
0: legs. Duke, so Duke, Duke is isn't moving much these days. He's living in a ranch. At the ranch.
3: Uh yes. He's living in a ranch and in a wheelchair, but he's making now Now he's you know he's going back to practice. Uh not to practice, going back to gym and helping guys train from a wheelchair. You go to his um his Instagram, there's a picture of him in the gym in a wheelchair, just watching his guys work out. Beast. Very very committed.
0: <laughs> just a beast. Well, you're a good friend to be able to, to do that for your friend, Jeff. I mean, you gotta think like which friend would I help? Poop. You know, there's a short list of friends. I
3: didn't know, I, know I didn't know I, I was going poop. to I didn't know I was help. I didn't know I was going to help him poop, but that ended up being my job. and, I, <laughs> and I, I was glad to help him out.
0: All right. We've completely gone off the rails here. We appreciate it. Two of the best in Thank the business you. right here on offensive lineman, Jeff Schwartz, former giants, offensive lineman, look out for his, uh, old line camp. It'll be coming out soon. Uh, right, right around draft time and Duke Manyweather, uh, offensive line performance trainer, uh, Headman for the OL mastermind. So appreciate you guys. We'll do it again soon. Thanks a lot. Take care, bud. On to the next one. All right, let's wrap it there. Those two guys, uh, I love them. I mean, you talk to them, it's just a wealth of offensive line knowledge. I mean, the normal human, you know, the average fan, our knowledge of offensive line play is minimal, right? I mean, now, granted, I consider myself maybe like the slightest step above the average fan in that I get to be around these guys a lot and talk to them and ask them questions. And I even went, and this will be my Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the episode. Where I tell you what it's like to be a reporter covering the Giants, the NFL, working for ESPN in general. So, I guess it was two years ago now, because last year nobody went anywhere. It was in this, around the summertime. Uh, last year was the pandemic, where everybody was, you know, not traveling, staying at home. And so, two years ago, I go to the OL Masterminds, the Offensive Line Masterminds, which Duke basically put together. It's hosted by Lane Johnson. He's like the player that's, you know, the face and in charge of and help putting it together. And, man, it was ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about a room filled with Jeff Schwartz and Mitchell Schwartz, his brother, obviously, all pro tackle. Teron Armstead, all pro tackle. Lane Johnson, all pro tackle. Brandon Brooks, all pro guard. I mean, Ryan Jensen, uh, center guard, who's pro bowler, dynamite player. Uh, Charles Leno, Brandon Brooks, uh, Shaq Mason, Trent Brown, Hugh Thornton. I mean, like, I'm telling you, like, 40 guys or so in a room talking offensive line play, and they're going over some of the top pass rushers and showing clips of, let's say, Von Miller or uh, Demarcus Lawrence. And here's the moves that they do, like that they specialize in. Like, I believe for uh, Demarcus Lawrence, it was his like cross chop. So, Demarcus Lawrence has this cross chop that's dynamite, that's like hard, they're basically almost unstoppable. But they're talking about ways that offensive linemen can then combat that cross chop and stop him as a passer, or at least limit. Because the best guys you can't really stop. That's kind of the gist of what I, what they were saying. But that they could limit them, and like it's really like a game between offensive linemen and defensive linemen, right? And like they say, they call it games when they, when you do like uh, tackle end stunts and 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 stuff like that, and 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 you could see it because the defensive line is like making a move the offensive lineman then have to counter or like the offensive lineman is using a technique right Uh, a certain set and then the defensive lineman then have to counter so it's really a game within a game and it was just fascinating I mean to sit there and listen to these guys and then also to go out to dinner and eat and to just hear them you know shoot the crap and, and 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 go out afterwards have some drinks and uh, listen to these guys and what goes through their head. And there was some college guys there at the time, uh, some guys who had just been drafted in the first round, Eric McCoy and, and uh, Garrett Bradbury were, were two of them. I remember they were first-round picks at the time, ready to enter the league. They're, they're sitting in this room with, like, notebooks, just taking notes from some of the best offensive linemen in the league. And it's really just like an offensive line summit. That's that's what it is. And the defensive linemen have a version of this too. Von Miller is a guy who had run it. Now, i had never been to the defensive line one, but let me tell you, I was blown away in that offensive line summit by the thought that goes into it and how hard it is for these guys. It's not just, okay, you have to be talented. Here's your set. You know, Here's what you can do. There's a huge mental aspect to offensive line play, huge. And these guys were going through it all, and I was lucky enough to be there. Like that's one of the benefits of this job and i and I like that because i'm I'm trying to I'm always trying to gain knowledge and you, you sat I sat there for five minutes, and the thing I mean everything was just that was running through my head I mean you know it was like you know the beautiful mind where like you have the the letters and numbers just going through a guy's head and like that's what that's what I felt like I was gaining so much knowledge and there was so much stuff that was just going through my mind at the moment, like holy cow, how do I even compartmentalize all this so uh that's. Big credit to Duke and really Jeff. Jeff, I, I know, is heavily involved with that. They're high school friends, as we talked about, and and really partners in, in a lot of a lot of what they do in regards to offensive line. They just talk offensive line all the time, and that's kind of how I met them. Is that you know Duke? I, I didn't bring this up before. Duke was training Jeff, and he was he still always watched offensive linemen, so I had kind of known him at the time. And so the Eric Flowers draft comes. That's I guess twenty fifteen. And I had heard the Giants like Flowers and they were going to draft him 10. And and Duke, who, by the way, keeps receipts. He was showing me all these texts and tweets that – I guess it was tweets – that he had sent during that draft saying that, you know, they're way off on on Flowers. There's just fundamental technical flaws that are there that he's not going to be – he's going to have a hard time in the NFL. And Duke, by the way, keeps receipts because he was sending it to me the other day. Uh, and he was just telling me, yo, they're so wrong. And I'm like, look, listen. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a talent evaluator. I'm just repeating what other people tell me, man. I'm telling you they like him. They're going to end up taking him. And they did. They took him, I guess it was, I always forget if it's picked nine or 10. Him and Apple, one was nine and one was 10. Both turned out to be pretty terrible picks for the Giants. But Duke was right on with that. And the more I talk to him, and I like to keep notes of what people tell me before drafts. So this way you could tell, you know, who is most accurate and who's not. And I have people, I talked to a bunch of different people prior to every draft. And I know, based on the track record of them, what they tell me, of what positions maybe I could trust them more than others. Some people maybe are better at quarterback. Some people at offensive line. Some people are just great with defensive players. So, like, different talent evaluators have different strengths, just like everybody else. So, uh, Duke, though, is money. When he tells me offensive linemen are good in the draft, they usually end up being good. So, he is, I trust him more on offensive line evaluations than anybody else. So everything he just said there, write it down, come back next year or two years down the road, you'll see he's going to be money. Dude's money when it comes to offensive line evaluations. He sees things that I, I mean, he'll tell me something about their footwork. I'll watch it 10 times and I still can't see what he's talking about. That's how good his eye is trained for offensive line play. So with that, let's wrap it up, okay? Here's what we got. Next week, we have... My most likely players to be drafted by the Giants at pick 11. I think it's going to drop on Tuesday. We will do an early week, another episode of Breaking Big Blue. Promise. And at some point, we're going to do another uh, Giants After Dark on social media. It'll be a busy week. It'll be a great week. Draft week's always fun. Have fun with it. Don't get too upset. Don't go nuts. Just have fun with it. You know, you could want who you want. You could debate your friends. You could have strong opinions, that's the beauty of this all. The whole exercise, the whole uh, exhibition, really, is what it is. So we'll see it all unfold in front of our eyes next Thursday to Saturday. In the meantime, I'll be here for you. I'll be back with one more episode before the draft. That's going to happen. We're going to be on a weekly schedule. We are on a weekly you know, release schedule right now. We've been pretty good with that, aside from that one week from vacation this year. so. We're going to keep it going. Remember, tell your friends, subscribe, rate us, provide all, I'm open to all honest feedback. Give me suggestions, what you want moving forward. And I'm here for you. You know how to reach me in uh, all social platforms, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok. You can email me. I'll try and get back to you. As long as you provide a reasonable question, keyword, reasonable. And with that, That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.